there's a common gesture in many societies such that when someone shows an act of kindness toward another, that person shows their gratitude. And they say what? Thank you. In other words, the receiver says to the giver, I appreciate your gesture of kindness. And I recognize your act of benevolence toward me, and I will thank you. Now, the truth is, for the receiver to be truly thankful, there must be some reason why the receiver is thankful for what was given. In other words, the receiver was either in need of what was given, had a desire for what was given, or recognized that there was a sacrifice by the giver. And therefore saying, thank you. There might be other reasons why a receiver appreciates the benevolent actions of a giver. However, one or all of these reasons is the fundamental, fundamental to a person being thankful. I needed it. I knew you made a sacrifice for it. And I really appreciate it. Hmm. For if a receiver is to be truly thankful, he or she must perceive that what was given satisfied their need. It satisfied their desire. Or they recognized that a sacrifice was made on their behalf. On the other hand, if the receiver perceives that that which was given was not something they needed or desired, or that there was no real sacrifice in order to give it to them, the chances are a genuine attitude of thankfulness will not exist. In the first epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's First Thessalonians 5.18. In this context, thanks is eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. In the Greek, it's eucharisteo. It's a compound of you. E-U meaning good. That's why we have eulogy. The eulogy is E-U. E-U, it means good. So when we have a do a eulogy, it means to speak good, right? So that's, that's, that's the first compound. And then, and then it means to speak well, rightly or properly. And then we have hare, which is a feeling of joy. So we have good joy, a feeling of joy. And then steo, which is a suffix that makes it a verb. So eucharisteo means to be thankful, to owe thanks and to give thanks. Eucharisteo means to be thankful, to owe thanks and to give thanks. Now, it's interesting to note that according to the Theological Dictionary of New Testament words, during the second century, Eucharistia became the general name for the whole service of the Lord's Supper, and they ended up calling it the Eucharist. Eucharisteo also refers to the utterance of thanks Jesus made at the first communion. They say it was the last supper. It was not the last supper. It was the first communion. Why? Because that's what Jesus called it. It was not the last supper. It was the first communion. And on the first communion, 1 Corinthians 11:24, the scripture says, and when he had done what? When he had given thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So Jesus instructed his disciples to do this as a memorial 
with a thankful and joyful heart for what he was about to do. He was about to go to the cross. That's what John 14 is all about. So today, as Christians, communion, we have the Eucharist. And it's a joyous and sacred occasion for us. It is one of the many ways we say thank you to Jesus for his death, burial, and resurrection. He said, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. A lot of churches do it on the very first Sunday, and it becomes very rote and very just routine. We don't do that. We do it on a special occasion because when we do it, we actually remember him, and it is a sacred occasion, and it is a holy occasion. Now, notice the scripture says, and when he had given thanks... Well, why did Jesus Eucharisteo? Why did Jesus Eucharisteo? Jesus was solely about doing the will of the Father, right? And, and the scripture says, give thanks and everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of the Father. So it was the will of God that Jesus give thanks. Therefore, ab- above any other reason, Jesus gave thanks because it was the will of the Father. So the Eucharisteo means to be thankful. It also means to demonstrate an attitude of joy by being thankful for the act of benevolence that one has directed toward oneself. Eucharisteo is an action that is directly the will of God. Now, in the first epistle, we just heard Paul tell us how often that we must Eucharisteo, how how, how often we should give thanks, right? He says in everything. Everything means without exception. Everything is all-inclusive. During good times as well as bad times, it's all-inclusive. So what this means is that whatever comes to us for our benefit, we are to be truly thankful. We are to love God and we are the called according to his purpose. So everything, everything works together for our good. Therefore, in everything, we give thanks. Why? Because we totally believe the word of God. And the word of God says all things work together for the good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. So whatever we, whatever going on, whether it's good times or whether it's bad times, in all times, we will give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. And there's nothing better to know than you are doing the will of God. Hmm. Whether situation, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we should give thanks. Why? As I just said it, because giving thanks is the will of God. Hmm. Giving thanks is what God wills of his people. Therefore, everyone who desires to do the will of God must give thanks in everything. Earlier, I mentioned that there are at least three basic reasons. Why one is thankful. One perceives that what was given to them satisfied a need, satisfied a desire, or they recognize that a sacrifice was made on their behalf. A sacrifice was made on their behalf. And I also said, if the receiver perceived that what was given was not something they needed, desired, or no real sacrifice was made, chances are there won't be an attitude of gratitude. There will be no gratitude of thankfulness. A good example, let me tell you. A good example of one being thankful because of a recognized need satisfied is, ever heard of a man named Naaman? He was a a Syrian general, and he responded to being cleansed of leprosy. Elijah told him to wash in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman was cleansed with a heartfelt thanks. He showed gratitude by coming back to Elijah to thank him. And not only was he thankful to Elijah, he was truly thankful to Elijah's God. 
In fact, Naaman gave glory to God for his cleansing. In 2 Kings 5.15, 2 Kings 5.15, and it says, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So Naaman said, I know that there is only one God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he was truly and sincerely thankful. He knew that through Elijah, God had done, listen, he knew that through Elijah, God had done something for him that he could not do for himself. Leprosy is an incurable disease. It is still incurable today. Hmm. The flesh begins to almost putrefy. So God did something for him that he could not do, and he had been cleansed of his incurable disease. Therefore, within him was a genuine attitude of joy and heartfelt thanks because he got something that he needed, something that he desired, and he was satisfied. Have you ever done something for someone or given them something that you knew they needed and they didn't express any thanks? Well, you know what? You shouldn't have expected it. No, I'm saying when you do something for somebody out of the kindness of your heart, don't expect thanks. I mean, if they say thank you, that's fine. But if they don't say thank you, you did what you were supposed to do. You gave. You saw a need and you filled it. Amen? Well, Jesus gave us something. And he's still giving us something. And nobody's saying thank you. Luke 17, 11. Luke 17, 11. There's a situation where Jesus did some serious, some, did something really uh, uh, significant for some folks, and they were not thankful. And it came to pass as they went to Jerusalem, this is Luke 17, 11, 19, that he passed through the midst, he, Jesus, passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, just like, just like Naaman which stood afar off. They had to stand afar off because they stunk and they were just nasty. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Why was that significant? Because the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. As a matter of fact, the Jews believed the Samaritans were nothing less than, dog, less than dogs. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten? Cleansed? Well, where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger? And he said unto him, Arise, go. Thy faith hath made thee whole. So while Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem, ten Samaritan lepers called out to him and asked for mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is unmerited favor. Folks say grace is unmerited favor. 
Grace is not unmerited favor. Mercy is unmerited favor. Mercy is kind forbearance directed toward an enemy or an offender. Uh, Mercy is something that you give something that they don't deserve. When someone is in court, what will they do? If they're criminal and they know they're guilty, what will they do? They will throw themselves on the mercy of the court. Why? Because they're asking for something that they don't deserve. So mercy is unmerited favor. Grace is not unmerited favor. Grace is the influence of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of grace. And you can't get the spirit of grace until you access his mercy. That's right. You got to get his mercy first because it's his mercy that he went to the cross and died, suffered, bled and died for us. It was by his mercy. It was by his mercy that he loved us. It was by his mercy that he saved us from our sins. And then once you access his mercy by being baptized in his name and filled with the Holy Ghost, now you can get some of his grace. Now you can get the influence of the Holy Ghost. So then you got his grace because you don't need his mercy anymore because now you got his grace. I hope that made sense to you. They were Samaritans, and the relationship between Jews and Samaritans were adversarial. They were asking Jesus to do something that they did, that, for them that they did not deserve. And I'm reminded of that woman that asked Jesus. She was a Samaritan, and she asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus told her it is not, uh, it is not right for, the, for him to give that which is holy to dogs. So in, 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 inadvertently, he called her a dog. But she, what, what did she do? She asked him for mercy. She didn't ask him for grace. She asked him for mercy. And what did he do? He had mercy on her and healed her daughter. Then he used his influence. So mercy is compassion and kindness directed toward an offender, someone that does not deserve it. Jesus healed them from a distance. He instructed them to show themselves to the priest and go. And it says, as they went, as they obeyed, they were cleansed. And he told them, your faith has made you whole. That's something folks don't understand about the gospel. When you come into this world, you come into this world sick. You come into this world sick with sin. And then what what happens is you've got to hear the gospel. I mean the sure enough gospel. I'm not talking about the dollar gospel. I'm not talking about the house gospel. I'm not talking about the job gospel. I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ where he came to save you. You've got to hear that first. And then once you hear that, Once you hear that, then you can be healed of your sins. But it takes your faith. You've got to believe that Jesus hung on the cross, suffered, bled, and died. You've got to believe that he is God in the flesh. You've got to believe on the third day he rose. You've got to believe in in, in being repentant, repentant. You've got to believe it, and it's done by faith. And how do you demonstrate your faith? You demonstrate your faith by going down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And once you do that, then you can have his grace. But if you haven't done that, I don't care who you are. You've got to come by faith. You've got to believe that Jesus died to save you from your sins. And if you don't believe that, and if you can't accept that, then you are going to stay nasty and dirty and full of sin. It's by faith. It's by faith. And all these churches, if nobody's preaching, if nobody's preaching a baptism in Jesus' name. They're not preaching the baptism in Jesus' name. Why? Because they all think Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus is not the second person of the Trinity. Jesus told them in John 14, you've seen the Father, you've you've seen me, you see the Father. Didn't he tell them that? And listen, this season, what is this season? This is Christmas, right? This is Christmas season, right? What did the angel tell Mary? That which is conceived in you is what? Born of the Holy Ghost. That's what he told her, right? 
That which is conceived in you is born of the Holy Ghost, right? And that which conceived in her was Jesus, right? So if Jesus was born of the Holy Ghost, then the Father is Jesus. It's the Holy Ghost, right? Right? The Father is the Holy Ghost, right? So that kills the Trinity, doesn't it? It kills it dead because the Holy Ghost and the Father are one and the same. And then I told you in John 14, Jesus told them, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is the... And so what they were looking at was they were looking at the Father in a body of flesh. They were looking at the Holy Ghost in a body of flesh. The Father's name is Jesus. The Son's name is Jesus. And the Holy Ghost's name is Jesus. Yeah, we're Jesus only. Absolutely, we're Jesus only. Who did they whip all night long? Jesus. Who carried that cross up that hill? Jesus. Who did they nail to the tree? Jesus. Whose blood came streaming down? Jesus. Who did they bury in the tomb? Jesus. Who rose on the third day? Jesus. Yes, we are Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is no other name given among men whereby we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Oh, give him some praise. Give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it says, as they went, as they demonstrated their faith, as they obeyed the word of God, they were clean. And they were now allowed to go back into the general population. They were cured of their incurable disease. Why? Because of their faith and obedience. That's how you get saved. Faith and obedience. Folks are not. No, it don't take all that. You ain't, got, you ain't got to be baptized. You ain't got to be baptized. You don't even have to be baptized, they say. Just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Or you don't even have to do that. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come live in my heart. And if you just pray that, you've been born again. Now, dial that number on the screen and call us and send us a donation. Yeah, prayer cloth. Get your prayer cloth. Get your holy water. Your holy tap water. It took faith for them to go to the priest. It really did. Because they were far off. It took faith. It took faith. And it says, as they went, as they demonstrated their faith, they were healed. They had to believe that somehow, by the time they got to the priest, they would be healed. Just as the Canaanite woman accessed Jesus' unmerited favor, I told you about that, so did the Samaritan lepers. So by faith, the Canaanite woman worshipped Jesus. By faith, the Samaritans followed his instructions. So we understand what? We understand that faith is a substance of hope. And it's not, I hope I'm going to get a car. And it's not, I hope I'm going to get a job. It's not, I hope I'm going to have a business that I can't afford. It's knowledge of the word of God understanding the word of God, believing the word of God, and proactively participating in the word of God. You want to experience God in your life? Do you really want to experience him in your your life? Live according to his word. His word is alive. He is in his word. If you want a good life, live according to the word of God. Built into the word of God is a good life. All you got to do is do it by faith. And you move from faith to faith to faith. You understand the word of God and you apply it to your life. And you see how it works. And then you'll do it again. And you do it again. And you move from faith to faith to faith. And all he said, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. I, every time I talk about the mustard seed, I have to tell you this story. I, 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 can't, I can't help it. 
we were at this church, and this woman was talking about mustard seeds. And she said, I tried, I tried to find a, a white mustard seed, but all the mustard seeds were black. And I, won't, I was trying to find, I thought white, my mustard seeds could be white. I'm white, so mustard seeds ought to be white. But all I could find are black ones, and they're really tiny too. Sister, me and Sister Swansea looked at each other and we just laughed. We just laughed. But it all, mustard seeds are really small too. And that's all it takes. That's all, that's all it takes. So, so because they obeyed Jesus' instructions and they proactively participated, no, no, faith without works is dead, right? So they had to do something. They had to adhere to their instructions. And they were healed. James said it. Faith without works is dead. The works of their faith was demonstrated, how? By their faith and their obedience to Jesus' instructions. Now, although ten were healed, only one came back to thank Jesus. He was the only one who genuinely appreciated what Jesus had done for him. He knew he needed healing. He had a desire to be healed. And being a Samaritan, he might have heard the prophecy of Jesus. I say that because Luke says when they saw him, they, they turned back with a loud voice and, and glorified God. So they recognized who he was and threw himself at Jesus' feet in a posture of worship. He was genuinely thankful. He was genuinely grateful. He was genuinely appreciative for what Jesus had done for him because he knew Jesus had done something for him that he could not do for himself. And he knew that Jesus was divine. How do we know? Because he said, I glorify God and I throw myself at your feet in a gratitude and appreciation. Well, what happened to the other nine? They had a need to be cleansed too, right? I'm sure they wanted to be cleansed. Well, maybe because Jesus healed them from a distance, they didn't really think he had done anything. Because maybe they expected him to lay his hands on them and come up to them or even breathe on them like they do, right? Why do they do that? And then they fall. And, yeah, and if, and if you don't fall, they push you. Push you. And then there was one, there was one man, he, he, was, he, he was so excited, he touched himself and knocked himself out. Blew on himself. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. All you got to do is have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what it's about. But that don't pay no bills for them, does it? No, that don't, that don't bring in no revenue, does it? So maybe they thought Jesus hadn't done anything. Maybe they didn't even know who he was. Maybe, maybe they didn't believe they could be healed, but they were. Still, Jesus healed them in spite of themselves. One writer says, and listen, listen, listen to what one writer says, and I quote, this was typical of the rejection of his ministry by the Jewish nation. He alone, Jesus, had the power to cleanse the nation and make it ceremonially clean. However, the nation did not respond 
properly to him. The nation accepted the things that Jesus could do, such as heal them and feed them, but it did not want them to did not want to accept him as a Messiah. Jesus told them, "You don't believe who I am, and you don't believe I, what I said. You're only here for the fishes and the loaves. You just came to eat. You didn't come to hear my word and be healed of your sin. You came to be healed of your hunger." And personally, I believe that in today's church, there are many who want to Jesus to heal them. They want him to feed them and make them financially prosperous, but they don't want his salvation. They want him to heal them. They want him to feed them, but they don't want his salvation. Well, let me let you in on something. Jesus don't give you no money. Jesus does not give you any money. As a matter of fact, he said it with his own mouth. Give and men shall give into your bosom. That's what he said. Jesus don't have, Jesus didn't need any money. Jesus ain't going to give you no car. Jesus is not going to give you a job. What he will do is if you have the Holy Ghost, his influence will influence you to make right decisions. That's what he will do. He will tell you, make this decision and it will turn out right for you. Or he will move on someone to put some money in your pocket. Because as he says, men will give. So he will move on somebody and say, give them some money. But he doesn't have any. He don't need any. Did you get that? Did you understand that? And you know, there's actually a, in the dictionary, it's called the prosperity gospel. Folks believe that you can actually gauge the blessings of the, God, of the Lord with dollars and cents. His blood. You can't buy his blood. You can't buy his salvation. You can't buy what he gave, gave us. You can't buy his joy. You can't buy his peace. You can't buy his holiness. You can't buy his righteousness. You can't buy it. It only comes by faith. It comes by faith in his word and doing and living according to his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are thousands of people in churches today. They want Jesus to bless them materially, but not spiritually. I heard a very influential minister. Very influential minister. Woman thou art loosed. He said, the sweet by and by will take care of itself. I want my stuff now. And woman, thou art loosed. And that's what it's about. The dollar. That's the dollar. And then he says, well, you know, I was converted in a oneness church. But I found out that oneness is inconsistent with scripture. So he went back to accepting the Trinity. But what he didn't what he didn't really say is Lifeway bookstores said they were not going to sell his books anymore if he continued to preach oneness. So the gospel was was it wasn't wasn't consistent and didn't fit and coincide with his bank account. So he so he 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 recanted. Well, you know what? Then he wasn't converted. He wasn't converted because if you are really saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and you really understand what God did for you in the body of Christ, there is no way in hell that you would ever ever recant and take down. 
I will never take down. You got to repent of your sins. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you got to have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And if you haven't done that, I don't care who you are, what you are, how much money you got, how big your congregation is. If you haven't done that, you are not saved. You have not been converted and you're going straight to hell. And that's the truth of the gospel. Jesus came to save your soul. He came to save you eternally. God doesn't squander his resources. He went to the cross to save your soul. They beat him and whipped him all night long to save your soul. He hung his head and died in our place and on our behalf. Why? Because we needed it. He was doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Hmm. The truth is, the cleansing of our souls can't be recognized in this world. In this material world, Christ blesses, blesses you when you obey his word. I, I said it, I'll say it again. When you obey his he says, seek the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be taken care of. Healing from sin is by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Healing from sin comes by obedience to Christ's instructions of how to receive his salvation. How do we know? Well, Matthew 16, 19, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Because Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Moses. Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My father, which is in heaven, revealed that to you. You got a spiritual revelation. So here's what I'm going to do, Peter. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. In other words, Peter, I'm going to let you reveal to the world how to access my salvation. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you release on earth will be released in heaven. In other words, Peter, your word will stand. You will stand and represent me as you reveal how to receive what I'm going to to the cross to do. And in Acts 2.38, that's what Peter did. That's what he did. He had the keys to the kingdom. And there's three keys. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And you're in. And you know what? Once you're in and you use those keys, you can't get out. Once you're in, you're in. Once you're in, you're, and, you, and, and, you, and you, can't, you, you can't lose it. You can't lose your salvation. That's another thing people have a problem with me. They say they think you can lose your salvation. You can backslide. Well, if you backslide, what do you have to do? You have to repent again? Then you have to be baptized again. And then you have to tarry for the Holy Ghost again. And what happens if you backslide again? Does that mean you've got to repent again? You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus again? You've got to tarry for the Holy Ghost again because he left? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus, listen, listen, listen. He said, Jesus, says, no one can pluck them out of my hand. And no one can pluck them out of my father's hand. That's in one sentence, right? So he's saying my hand and my father's hand are what? The same hand. And then Jude said, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If you think that you don't sin, then you're a liar because that's what the Bible says. We still sin. Before you get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, you're in a body of sinful flesh. You know what happens after you get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost? You're still in a body of sinful flesh. The beauty of the gospel is, is that the sins of your flesh will not be charged to the account of your soul. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Because we are going to slip. We're going to make mistakes. But he says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because that's what the Holy Ghost does. He keeps us righteous. He keeps us clean. He keeps us holy. The scripture says we are sealed. I hope that made sense to you. Mm. I mean, if, 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 if God can't, if Jesus can't, if the Holy Ghost can't keep you, who can? If the Holy Ghost can't keep you, who can? Mm. Jesus came to heal sin sick souls. To heal six sin souls and give us eternal life. Yes, Lord. But I don't, they don't want what Jesus did. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want it. He went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died. Have you ever, have you ever stuck your finger with a pen? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. So just imagine being nailed to a cross. Many of us are more concerned with this. Yes. Heaven and earth will pass away. Oh, yes. Money will pass away. Yes, the only thing that stands is the word of God. Jesus. And so many, like, like the nine unthank- unthankful lepers, mm. there's so many people like that. So the point here now is that in order to experience the unmerited favor of God, his word must be obeyed. And if we really appreciate the mercy he gave us through the passion of the cross, then according to his word, in everything we do, we will do what? We will give thanks. After the Samaritan was healed, he gave glory to God and Eucharisteo to Jesus. He was overwhelmed with gratitude and praise. And Jesus says, go thy way. Thy faith has made you whole. So what made this man different from the rest is that he demonstrated faith and obedience to Christ. And apparently this was his state of mind before he called out to Jesus to have mercy. Now, this is speculation on my part, but I I would venture to say that he was probably one who told the other nine lepers Jesus could heal them. He was probably the one that told the other nine that Jesus could. And so they acted on his suggestion. They acted on his suggestion, not on his faith. They didn't have his faith. Not on their trust and belief in Christ. Now I'm going to digress just a moment. Am I, am I boring you? You getting tired? Okay. It is imperative and vital that as we go through this life, we demonstrate Eucharisteo to Jesus in everything. For if we don't, we will allow the presence of evil to invade our environment. We must give thanks to God for everything and everything, whether things are going right or things are going wrong, we give thanks because if not, then we allow evil 
to get in and we begin to accuse God. That's something else. God doesn't put things on you. You know, there are so many misunderstandings about the word of God. How many times have you heard folks folk say, well, you know, he won't put more on you than you can bear. But Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So what does he do? He puts burdens on you so you can give them back to him. They believe all that nonsense. It's nonsense. Mm. So what do I mean? We do damage in our lives. Uh, to, to do damage in our lives, evil must operate in an environment that is favorable to its influence. And the Bible says all that is not of faith is what? Is of sin. You see, when we, fall, when we fail to give God the glory for his sacrifice on the cross, when we only come to him to satisfy our material needs and desires, we are not doing the will of God. Instead, we are giving place to evil. Yeah, you see them folks in those all them award shows. They get up there, they're half naked, and they got those big crosses around their neck, and they give God thanks to God. And don't even that's right. They don't even know Him. And it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of this world that blesses them. It's the it's Satan that blesses them because he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. How do I know? Because the Bible says He's the God of this world. Adam gave this world to death to the devil. And that's why the media is permeated with him. And that's why they do all of that, because they, they worship this God. And then they'll, they'll go, so what does that mean? And the devil is shrewd. He's really shrewd. He actually makes them think they're really being blessed by God, the, the mighty God. And so they continue to live the way they live. And then you know what he does? After he's finished with them, after they've corrupted the minds of the youth and corrupted the minds of people, you know what he does? He kicks them to the curb like yesterday's trash. They end up either drugged out, suicided out, or just completely burned out. Because when he's through with them, that's what he does. Kicks them to the curb. And he wears them out. He wears them out. And then after he's worn them out, he has them to kill themselves so he can get their souls. That's the way he does it. That's the way he does it. Hmm. This is subtle but true. For when we fail to give God glory, we give place to the devil. We must understand there is nothing in between. Either we give glory to God or we give place to the devil. And the Bible says don't give place to the devil. Either we eucharisteo Jesus or we don't. And as Christians, we are instructed that in everything we give thanks to God because this is the will of God concerning us. We must obey God and give him thanks for healing us from sin and keeping us from evil. Because that's what he does. He keeps our souls from evil. And he keeps us from evil when we obey his will. Evil loses its power over you when you obey the word of God. Evil has no power over the word of God. Evil loses its power when we obey the word of God and we put the word of God in operation. For evil to be in control of a situation... There's got to be rebellion. For evil to be in control of a situation, there's got to be disobedience. For evil to be in control of a situation, there's got to be a direct violation of the principles of God. And the truth is, when we fail to give God glory and Eucharisteo and everything, we commit iniquity. Did you know that? You know what iniquity is? Iniquity is failure of duty. 
Iniquity is failure of duty. As Christians, we have a duty to give glory to God. We have a duty to glorify him and give him praise for doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. You know, when you first get saved, you're just so excited and you feel so fresh and so clean. And then as time goes on, you kind of forget about it. You allow the things of this world to, 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 to overshadow and, and you forget really what God has done for you. And then you stop coming to church. You stop praising him. You stop giving him the glory. But you know what? He says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never forsake you. Once you have my spirit in you, I will never take my spirit from you. That's the beauty of, the, of God. Yes, yeah, it's, it's real easy to, to, to forget God and demonstrate a lack of faith and gratitude for his benefits. Oh, but I like what the psalmist said. He said, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name and bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. We must never forget the sufferings of Christ. We must be ever mindful of what he did for us and is still doing for us. For it is in the moments that we forget that we give the adversary an opportunity to influence us with ingratitude. The Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Giving place to the devil means giving him an opportunity to manipulate you into thinking that what you really, you don't really need to be cleansed. Or the devil will even tell you, you're not really saved. Do you feel saved? Do you feel saved? Shouldn't you feel saved? You don't feel saved. You know you're saved. You know you're saved because you did what the word of God said to do to be saved. But he'll do that to you. You're not, you're not, you're not saved. Mm, you're not saved. Giving place to the devil means, giving place means one believes that they really didn't need the Savior. A lot of them do believe that too. Because if you believe that you can backslide, then you believe that you can keep yourself saved. And if you believe you can keep yourself saved, then you don't believe what Jesus did to keep you saved. Crunch on that a minute. Giving place to the devil means one believes that if they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, they're born again. That's giving place to the devil. Giving place to the devil means one believes that material blessings is a true sign that Jesus is working in their lives. And so only in times of financial prosperity will they thank God. And in times of difficulty, they blame God. They blame God. Oh, well, he's setting you up. There's another God setting you up for a blessing. He had your house burned down so he could give you another one. He had you lose your your, your job so he could give you another one. No, you lost your job. You lost your job because you were late for work or you got to work and wouldn't do anything. Your house burned down because you probably had a space heater on while you were at work. But they blame God for all of that. He's setting you up for a blessing. Have you ever heard that? He's setting you up. God don't play. God is not a trickster. God doesn't play games. The fact of the matter is financial prosperity comes to anyone who is willing to work and follow the principles of the acquisition of wealth. There's a whole lot of enormously wealthy people and they're just as going straight to hell as they can and leave all their money here. So that's no sign. That's no sign of the blessings of God. 
Salvation and salvation and financial prosperity are as far from each other as the east is from the west. You can always go east. Did you know that? You can always go east and you'll never go west. And you can always go west and you'll never go east. And so financial prosperity and salvation are as far from each other as the east is from the west. Salvation comes by obedience and faith in the cross. So the point here is that we must thoroughly believe, comprehend, and understand that the purpose of the cross was to save souls from the the effects of spiritual poverty, not material poverty. The purpose of the cross was to save souls from the eternal consequences of sin and not the temporal vicissitudes of this life. Jesus says, as long as you're in this life, you're going to have some trouble. He says, but in me, you'll have peace. And the peace I give you is not the kind of peace the world gives you. So if it's not the kind of peace that the world gives you, then the world can't take it from you. Hmm. The purpose of the cross was to heal souls from the sickness of sin. And it's only through when we believe, when we fully comprehend and understand the purpose of the cross, that we can really appreciate and give heartfelt thanks and gratitude for what God did for us on the cross. Did you get that? That's the whole point of this. You, you must really, really appreciate and understand what God did for you. You don't, We must understand what sin is. Sin keeps us so separate and separate from God. Sin is in, in the world. Sin causes everything corrupted, has corrupted everything. And there's nothing we can do about it. And if you really understand what God did for you, on the, you can't thank him enough. You can't praise him enough. You can't exalt him enough. You can't talk about him enough. You can't live for him enough. It is only when we truly become aware that we need, we're in need of a savior and that he was the only one to save us and truly give us, we will, to save us, we will again give him the glory and the honor and praise that he is due. We thank him for his unmerited favor of mercy. We thank him for his unmerited favor of mercy. We were not a people. We were strangers and aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. We were enemies and, in, in, enemies and offenders of God. We were enemies and offenders of God. That's why we needed his mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, in that he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul says, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. And what was that, Paul? That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. We were, we're Gentiles. The Mosaic law never applied to us. So we glorify God for his mercy on us. We give, we give Jesus, we give Christ, we give Christ and we give thanks to him for his mercy. We thank him and we praise him. We are the Gentiles that glorify God for his unmerited favor and mercy. And so in everything, that's the whole point of this message. In everything, we give thanks uh, uh, for the, because that is the will of God concerning us. Give, I, Lord, I thank you. I thank you when things are going right. I thank you when things aren't going well. I thank you even when I'm sick. I thank you when I'm well. I thank you, Lord. I thank you when I'm in the grocery store. I thank you when I'm at work. I thank you when I'm driving my car. Lord, I thank you. I thank you because you did for me what I could not do for myself. We thank the Lord because of his precious blood that he purchased our redemption. We thank the Lord because he saved and sanctified us and we are eternally healed. Eternally healed because everything he does is permanent. 
We thank him because he we thank him because he prepared a place for us in glory. We thank the Lord by faith and we have received his mercy and we stand in his grace. We stand in his grace. We thank the Lord for his precious body that was broken and his efficacious blood that was shed for us, for us. That's love. That's love. He endured the agony and the pain and the misery and the ridicule. God, the creator of all things, hung on the cross, suffered, bled, and died for us. We can't thank him enough. We can't praise him enough. We can't give him enough of the glory that he is due. So what we will do We will give thanks. We will give him thanks. We will give him thanks. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. So in everything, everything, we give thanks. Because that's the will of God. Let's give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word is spirit. Your word is life. Your word is meat and drink to our souls. Thank you for your word. Anyone in need of prayer this morning? Anyone in need of prayer? All right. All right, this part of the service, we have a little bit of interaction. You can ask any questions or something that stood out to you. You can comment on it. Or if you disagree with something or you didn't understand something, this is an opportunity if you want to ask any questions.